Last week, we had a technical difficulty with the upload of our episode, and it wasn't released until pretty late in the morning. So if you're a Monday morning listener, you may have missed it. It was with Greg Markle from Recovery Effects. If that's the case, then you should go check it out after you listen to today's episode. This week's episode is made possible by After Later Audio's Heritage Line, Patchwork Seattle, and listeners like you. If you'd like to help keep these episodes coming each week, please visit patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. Have you entered to win a Needham Woodworks case powered by Eschatonic Modular? No? What are you thinking? Why haven't you entered to win this giant, giant, beautiful piece of furniture that also will house and power your Eurorack modules? Head over to needhamwoodworks.com to learn how to enter this great contest. Also, head over to their Instagram page and check out their Pythagoro skiffs. That's hard for me to say. Pythagoro. Beautiful little for you 120 or 160 HP skiffs. Also powered by Eschatonic Modular. So yeah, head to needhamwoodworks.com to learn more about all that amazing stuff I just talked about. Speaking of amazing stuff, thank you, Lisa Belladonna, for this tasty, sweet, and sultry jam. Please uh, do yourself a favor and head over to lisabelladonna.bandcamp.com and check out her amazing catalog. Pretty, pretty awesome music over there. Yeah, I love that little piano roll. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held, and today we have Yoran from Yoranalog on the show, and we have an excellent conversation that I very much enjoyed, and uh, you're going to be enjoying it here in a moment. But first, I want to take a moment to give a shout out to some of my podcast peeps. We got Source of Uncertainty, the Bukla podcast for you. Get it? Uh, March 25th. The next episode's coming out, and that's going to be uh, about Kyle's trip to EMS in Stockholm. So yeah, go uh, go check out Kyle and Robert over at Source of Uncertainty. Then we got Esoteric Modulation with Ben Wilson and Ed Ball. Uh, they just recently had Amulets on, and that was a really, really great episode. Uh, lots of talk about um, tape tape loops and... Uh, getting getting good sound out of cheap effects, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then they had Jamie Liddell on before that, and that was a really fun conversation. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Jamie Liddell. He has his own podcast called Hanging Out with Audiophiles, and that's a really, really uh, fun podcast. I just tr- started diving into that one recently. And then, of course, we have the legendary music, art, and technology from our buddy Darwin Gross. Uh, North Beats from Corey Luna. Why We Bleep with Mylar Melodies. Uh, Data, Data Cult. Data Cult is awesome. It's it's just modular performances. There's no talking. It's just modular performances from all your favorite uh, modular artists. And then there's Form the Head uh, out of Portland. Not necessarily modular, but, uh, you know, talks to really cool uh, electronic artists. And then uh, Dot Wave with John O'Wells down in San Diego. So, yeah, there there's all sorts of great podcasts to be had in the modular world. So go check them out. So bad news, everybody. We had to cancel our San Francisco trip, which means no live pod mod for episode 100. Um, It's due to this thing. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's called uh, coronavirus. Yeah, it's kind of wreaking havoc on a lot of things. So, yeah, sorry about that. 
I'm, I'm pretty bummed about it. Um, but I just, we felt like it would be a little uh, unethical and irresponsible if we went traveling around since we live in the hotbed of coronavirus as far as the United States goes. Um, I'm, of course, talking about Seattle. And speaking of Seattle, the, the universities and the public schools have shut down, which is which is uh, pretty scary for me because I'm an instructor at a trade school and we have yet to cancel classes, but I'm afraid it's right around the corner. So I'm deciding to be proactive about it and try to get ahead of it. And uh, I'm gonna offer up some, uh, some modular lessons via Skype. Are you relatively new to modular and uh, want some pointers and some tips? Uh, let's talk. You can hit me up at podmodcast at gmail.com. I have some ideas of what I'd like to do, but I really think each uh, lesson will probably be individually tailored to uh, your unique desires and your unique setup. So uh, yeah, I'm excited about this. Again, hit me up at podmodcast at gmail.com if you want to uh, chat about doing some lessons via Skype with me. And again, that's podmodcast, not podular modcast. Podmodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't want to do that, but you'd still like to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. And if a monthly thing doesn't quite uh, hip hip to the cut of your jib, is that what you is that what people are saying? Um, you could also do a one-time donation at uh, PayPal at podmodcast at gmail.com. And this help will of course Keep these episodes coming each week as we uh, all enter this this weird, weird possible quarantine time. If I'm quarantined home, I'm in my podcast studio, so I can just I'm all about that that content life. I'll just be pumping out that tent for you guys. Anyways, this intro is going to be uh, relatively short today, but we're going to check out a demo really quick before we get into our chat. All right, we're going to take a look, or listen rather, to the Recovery Bad Comrade version 2. Uh, what's new on version 2 is it is 10 HP smaller and $100 cheaper. So how can you go wrong there? Um, it's a glitch, fuzz, delay, slice and dice, pitchy. It's it's just it's a glitch monster. And uh, I've been using the Bad Comrade for about six or seven years. It started as a pedal, went to a 14 HP module and now it's this 4HP module and I'm going to show you what uh, my favorite use of the Bad Comrade is and that is of course to make some really really chunky drums. So I've got this beat going right now. I'm using a Platts, uh, an Erica Pico drums and an Erica sample drum right now to make this beat and I'm using my Gordon mixer that my friend David Lutz made, my eight channel mixer with two uh, send and returns. So I'm going to I'm going to use one of the sends to send uh, all these drums to the Bad Comrade, but I'm going to send them in one at a time. So let's just add the bass drum to the Bad Comrade really quick. Now let's add the snare. And we'll add uh, the hi-hats. And the other little hi-hatty type thing. So that's pretty chunky. Uh, one of my favorite, actually this is my favorite um, aspect of the Bad Comrade is the freeze button. So it just basically freezes your little bits in place. Um, let's see what it sounds like. Now I'll press it again right here. 
Also, if you press the freeze button and uh, keep it held down and mess with the time knob, you can get some pretty fun uh, results. Let's add some CV to that now. Okay, now I have uh, I have started triggering the slopes module from After Later Audio. It is yet to be released, but it's coming soon. It's a slope generator. Um, I'm triggering that with a, a rhythmic gate, and then I'm putting that into the time input of the Bad Comrade. Now, what's really fun about using modulation in the time CD input is uh, when you start playing with the freeze button again. So now I'm going to actually take that modulation out of the time input, and I'm going to hold the freeze button down. So I'm holding it down. Kind of goes a little wild. It's not really rhythmic. Now I'm going to put the CD from the slopes back into the time. Now listen when I hold down the freeze button. No, I just let go of it. So uh, yeah, it's it's very playable. Um, that's one of my favorite aspects of the Bad Comrade. It's, uh, it's it's great for live performance with this freeze button. Cool. Head over to recoveryeffects.com to learn more about the Bad Comrade and for the month of March. If you're listening and it's still March of 2020 and you want to buy a bad comrade, uh, you can get $20 off if you enter the code PODMOD20, all caps, P-O-D-M-O-D-20, no spaces, recoveryeffects.com. Cool. Well, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with me. Um, and just to be clear, you pronounce your name Joran? Joran. Joran. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. that's where the name of your analog comes from then, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I want to talk about that. But first, I want to just get some of your your history. Just, uh, I guess, I like to, to ask, where, like, when did you know that you were going to do something with music? And then, um, was there any particular time in your life where you heard a particular song or artist and just it, it flipped a switch? I guess I, I was about... I think 11, 12, something like that. No, no, younger even. Um, and I, I recall listening to Daft Punk, which sort of, of triggered something in my head, I guess. It, it started an, an interest for, for electronic music. And yeah, I just fell down the rabbit hole um, with electronic music and then electronics, technology, and it sort of everything sort of came together. And I, I don't recall where or when, but I... I discovered this idea of, of modular synthesizers and it, it sort of um, sort of made sense in my head to have these modules with, with uh, specific functions and build your own system, build your own instruments. So yeah, that's sort of the way it, it happened. Um, not really a lightning bolt moment, but... Gradually over time. 
yeah yeah what exactly. was the what was the daft punk song was it around the world was it the homework album <laughs> I, I i i think it was just their, their entire catalog okay <laughs> as far as i can can recall yeah <laughs> yeah i i got into daft punk in my uh in my late 20s is when they really it was okay. i was very late uh, i didn't get into electronic yeah. music for a long time so everything they had done aside from the tron and uh, random access memories had already been released. So when I got into them, there was yeah. just this whole world I could jump into. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, still one of my favorites. Okay, so you're 11 when you when you first kind of get hit with the the first bug, or maybe a little younger. That's that seems about right. Um, yeah. Did you start playing any instruments? Um, I did try the piano for like a year or something, but didn't. Um then continue, but I I did um, start playing again about a year ago, so, but for the rest no I I I did listen to a lot of music, um, and um, sort of well my mother used to be a um, a music teacher so I guess there's some some history there, um, but no I didn't play in, in any bands or anything or or, or start the crazy guitar collection <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm assuming you didn't go st straight into Eurorack or modular synthesis. Did you did you get into, you know, like a Juno or something first or what what was your first actual synthesizer? That was a microcork. A microcork. Microcork. That was yeah, my first. Exactly. That was my first synth too. <laughs> <laughs> which which I I think is still an underrated synthesizer, probably the most popular synthesizer of all times and also the uh, the most underrated. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. The vocoder was yeah. was kind of a, a yeah. revelation for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it looked cool with the wood panel sidings. Yeah, and yeah with the sort of vintage look to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pre pretty sure they're still making them. So, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I think like, they they make the XL now, which is like the black one, okay, which does yeah. not look nearly as cool. Um, no, no, no. But but I mean, it was in production for like twenty years almost. So. Yeah, yeah. It's a that's, great. That's That's yeah. That's, um, you don't see that a lot. Like if you look at uh, the vintage synths from the 80s, they were in production for like three, four years maximum. Yeah. Yeah. This Well, this is like, I feel like the microcorg was the synth for people who didn't know what synthesizers were. Like every band I've ever seen. Yeah. Exactly. That maybe has the guitarist that holds <laughs> down one key for like one song. They yeah. always have a microcorg. And you can still hear the presets on on some songs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because most of the, I think a lot of the people that ended up getting one didn't realize that you could dive into there and uh, and change them around and make your own oh, presets. That's, that's at least ninety nine percent of the people who bought them. But I think you're right. I think it is an underrated because um, uh, you know I'm on a lot of different synthesizer groups on on Facebook and you know like I talk to a lot of people who who mess around with synths and you don't hear people talk about it too much and I wonder if it's because it's almost like saying the Beatles is your favorite band. It's just kind of like you don't want to be that person. But uh, yeah, I think I think that that synth is really cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's the same engine as the MS two thousand, if I recall correctly. Which yeah. Is, which has more of a of an um, like what's the word? It it has more um, more respect, I guess, as a synth, even though it's it's the same thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that. I actually I ended up getting an MS two thousand because I knew that, and I I kind of I think I grew out of the 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 microcorg, but. 
it, it, I thought it was just going to be like the microcorg plus some, you know, I thought it was going to be really similar in how you operated it and everything. And when I went to the MS 2000, it was, I, I was just like, I don't know what any of this, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. It took me a while to figure it out, <laughs> but, uh, I did end up owning two of them, a rack version and the regular version. And, uh, yeah, really, really yeah. awesome since. Yeah. So what did I you? I mean, they're digital, but still. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what did you? Uh, what did you? I want to. I want to really take like figure out the the from microcorg to Eurorack. Like, how do you get there? To be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I did get a few other synths later on, like a Cork O one slash W, which is the successor to the M one. Um, mm -hmm. so apparently it used to be the, called the M10 and then some someone at Cork saw it written upside down and they just turned it into the 01 slash W oh really? it's the story that's told about that <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure if it's an urban myth or not but <laughs> it's a really strange name but it's it's one of those digital workstations like um, 76 keys uh, floppy drive you know wow um, really really powerful synthesis engine and it has these crazy uh, crazy presets with like really orchestral almost type of pots and, and, and effects and yeah it's a very 90s very over the top but, uh, <laughs> unfortunately it doesn't have the M1 piano it does have the, the house organ but not the house piano so um, but yeah that, that was like an interesting synth on its own um, and then I got the, the base station the original one mm -hmm. um, which is the kind of synth you find uh, on, on I don't know in thrift stores because people think it's a toy uh, yeah <laughs> it's uh, two octaves and, and it's plasticky and really light and, and the knobs are wobbly and it's just really built like crap but <laughs> but it's it's <laughs> it sounds amazing which yeah. is which That's I kind of like, you know, it's it's like a, a wolf in, in sheep's clothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's relatively affordable, right? It's the Novation, is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, Novation base station, the original one. The, there's al there's also a rack version, but the keyboard version is, is the one I have. Um and yeah, I mean, I still have it, and it's it, it's it's a very interesting synth. Also, I had it's one of of the last, I think, one of the last real analog synths. I mean, it was released in in mid nineties, I think. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. My, I had a friend of mine uh, who who didn't know anything about uh, synths, and he decided to buy one because he. Uh, he thought it would be fun to play one with his guitar, and he didn't know the difference between monophonic and polyphonic. And he yeah. got it, and he's like, "Well, it only only one thing comes out. If I press a new note, it it cancels the other <laughs> one." Like, yeah, that's because you got a yeah. monophonic synth, man. <laughs> that's that's a pretty common uh, thing I've noticed with with like regular musicians, let's say, like uh, coming from a jazz background or mm -hmm. whatever, and they they encounter a mini moke, and it's like, "Oh wait, wait, I can't do chords. What's <laughs> well, what's there's something wrong with this thing?" <laughs> nah, that's just uh, you know, it's it's like. Uh, like you know, a wind instrument or whatever, they they also only play one note. So it just it's that's not because it has a keyboard. That means uh, it's it's polyphonic. Yeah, yeah. It's just the <laughs> interface. <laughs> so okay, but, yeah. You don't remember how you found how you got into Eurorack, but do you remember how you started getting into um, 
you know, building stuff? Were you building, were you doing like synth DIY stuff or was, was the building and the electrical stuff, was that, was that separate from music and did they converge at Eurorack? It did get started with musical stuff. Like um, I'm looking at a shelf full of um, stuff I've built over the, over the years. And there's things like a weird sound generator from music from outer space, mm. uh, DIY websites from uh, the late Ray Wilson. Um, that stuff I've designed myself, just CMOS chips making crazy sounds or, or like um, Valamon kits, which is this Belgian company making uh, DIY kits. And they have a few audio stuff, so like uh, Echo, like a PT, um, a PT chip Echo and stuff like that, the Spring Reverb all sorts of, of crazy, crazy sound stuff. Um, yeah, and just messing around and trying stuff and, and learning, learning by building stuff, building breadboards, uh, circuits, um, with just uh, a few components and an, an oscilloscope I got for 15 euros. <laughs> was, That's a uh, good deal. Which was, yeah, but it's, it, it's also crap. So <laughs> 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 and it died, uh, died on me a few years ago, but I, I have more than a few oscilloscopes now to replace it. So. <laughs> okay, but so yeah, just, get, just getting started. It's uh, very basic tools and, and very basic stuff. So it was it it was it was it out of an interest in building the stuff or was it out of necessity? I feel like there there are two different backstories generally that I hear. Somebody says yeah. I really wanted this and I couldn't afford it, so I figured out how to build it myself, or somebody who's just really into it and they eventually start building their own things. No, it was just interest because I wasn't in a band or anything. I, I didn't have the intention of making music with any of it. Not really. Um, I did dabble a bit in in. in producing music or whatever but the, the stuff i built was just yeah out of an interest so an interest for weird sounds okay so so you're messing around since you're messing around with building your own stuff the music from outer space i think is a pretty legendary thing most people in the diy world will have heard of that um so you're messing around with this and then you find you find modular do you get a setup first or do you stumble into a store and see it or does a friend tell you about it no, well, modular stores, when, when I got into it, um, I think there was probably just Schneidersladen in Berlin, mm -hmm. and that was probably the only one in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, so I did get uh, like a basic dupfer, um, not not even a system, but just some random modules, and, and I built my own power supply and, and my own bus boards. Um, and yeah, just... Uh, just got started that way with really basic stuff and then I got a few more modules but I, I never had like a wall of modeler or anything um, yeah just out of interest and I don't recall ever making a lot of music with it <laughs> because I you know I didn't have like a sequencer or anything or mm -hmm. it was also just an interesting an interest in making sounds and and just the, just the, the the concept of of a modular synthesizer i found really really intriguing and and not not results you can you can have with it you know it, it was just the idea of having this 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 thing this modular modular instrument was was enough on its own i guess okay so walk us through you making your own your first design and and did you was your first design did you plan on starting a company or was it more out of fun 
I was planning for a long time to to build my own modules. Mm -hmm. Again, just because I found the concept of modular synthesis so 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 interesting, that I really wanted to make my own modules, and I had some some ideas um, of stuff I wanted to make, and I had some different brand names and different panel layouts, looks and graphics and fonts and whatever. I tried all sorts of stuff. Um, and then eventually I settled on, on the name, I, I settled on the, the the final look for everything. Um and just also the, the I guess the technology level um I wanted. So this modern this idea of having really modern high end analog. Um and the first module was Switch Four, which was very much um created from inputs well, at that time, I was doing uh, vintage synthesizer servicing, so I've I've repaired a lot of repaired and modified a lot of those vintage synth, mostly 80s, uh, lots of Junos uh, and DB303s and and the likes. Um, so I I got to know a lot of musicians locally here in Belgium, uh, and they were also into Eurorack m very often. Mm -hmm. And some of them came to me like, uh, okay, we're doing this live thing and we need a way to to uh, control our modeler system live easily and can you have some sort of switching and a routing solution. And, and at the mo when I had a few, of, of few people ask me this, basically the same thing, then I developed Switch 4, um, which is exactly that. It's just uh, four inputs, six outputs. You have switches, you have uh, rotary switches and toggle switches, and you can control the, the signal flow in your system. Um, and that was, um, at least for the people who were asking for something like that, that was uh, very interesting for them and, and, and a success. Um, but I wouldn't say it was a success um, commercially wider also because I was a really new brand and and the the also already then it was growing very quickly so new brands were appearing very quickly um what year was this that you released the switch for that would be uh i'm just thinking right now it would be uh two or three years ago okay yeah so okay so not, you were not, like not right when it started kind of hitting its second wave of popularity yeah, so it was uh, two and a half years ago, about. Okay, well, I guess yeah. I guess you could call it second wave. I don't know. It's it seems to have have had a few waves, in like late nineties. But it seems like when dope fur and make noise really started, that's that was maybe the when it really started getting popular. But over the last two or three years, I think it's grown more, you know, than it yeah, ever has. I, yeah, I think I got in just uh, just as as the 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 big boom was was starting. Yeah. Um, and for new brands right now, I think it's even harder than it was back then. I was going to say, that must be really, really challenging to try to start a modular company um, then. And yeah, like you said right now, just so much stuff going on. And it's, uh, it's yeah. probably a real challenge to try to think of, you know, ideas that are, you know, that are unique, that, that are going to stand out. But I feel like... I feel like the, uh, that you you have done that in a few of your modules, which I definitely have a few I want to talk about specifically. But um, mm -hmm. I, I'm so okay. So you you do the switch for you like that, you have fun with that. Do you get yeah. like is there is there like this excitement to start developing other ideas, or did you have other ideas on the back burner that you were just kind of pumping out? You know what what came next after that? 
Yeah, of course, I was working on on like three or four designs in parallel. I think, mm-hmm. uh, like like I'm always doing still to this day. Uh, so, if I recall correctly, the next one was Mix Three, which is a um, again, I I I would say probably the the most powerful emotion i use in design is frustration (laughs) (laughs) which which sounds pretty negative but it's a sort of frustration for what's available right now and and i see a lot of missed opportunities in the market um so i often think okay i'll just do it myself and and mix three was one of those where i just went okay uh, why not instead of having this huge voltage controlled mixer why not just make a really small one Mm -hmm. and it seems like you, like up until recently, have focused a lot on on utility type stuff, um, which I think is something that is really, really useful. You know, obviously extremely useful. Um, but I think a lot of the people who get module module buying fever, you know, that that first fever that you get when you're getting into it. I don't think people go for the utilities right off the bat. They go for all the sound sources, yep. and a few years later, they realize, oh, I really need this utility. Like a switch doesn't sound very exciting to somebody who's just getting into it. But then as you yep. learn what you're doing, you realize that a switch can be like your best friend in a system. Yeah. Well, I didn't really set out to become like a utility brand or anything. It sort of happened because the designs I made... Um, I just found it interesting to make small designs which have these very particular functions uh, which are unique in, in, in Eurorack. Um, and I quickly realized that the audience I was reaching was indeed those people who were into Eurorack for a longer time, mm-hmm. uh, who were looking for these sort of unique utilities to, to properly build out their system. Um, so it sort of happened uh, and it also made sense to start with smaller, more simple modules and then expand into more complex stuff. Which seems to be what you're doing right now with the the last two releases. And it's pretty unique. You you just mentioned that you know that you wanted to keep things small. Your 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 largest module is twelve HP right now, is that right? Yeah. At the <laughs> moment, yeah. <laughs> That's and so you know, the um actually I, I don't want to talk about that yet. I want to keep going in order because I don't want to jump the gun. Okay. Um Okay. But I, I feel like you came onto my radar um with the contour one. And uh, I've talked yeah. with Ben, uh Div Kid Wilson, and he mm-hmm. he really likes your stuff. Um he's, <laughs> Yeah, I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a good endorsement to have. Um yeah. But yeah, when I, I was I was asking him, you know, who are who are some of his his uh current current faves and I think your name was in there. Um which is which is awesome. And the contour one looks like like uh one of those modules that, you know, there's there's stuff that's similar to it out there, but not in this size with this functionality. So Yeah. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about the de- development of that? Yeah, again it, it I guess frustration was the was the <laughs> motiv- motivator for this one. Um, I've I've seen the popularity of of those voltage controlled uh, slew limiter modules, um, but I always found them to be really lacking in a lot of ways. So they they can do a lot of stuff, but nothing particularly well. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to to name names. I guess people know what what kind of modules I'm talking about. I had a few of them myself, and yeah. I just found it very frustrating to to use them um because they for example if you want to slew a volt proctor um, sequence they wouldn't be accurate enough for that 
if you wanted to use them as a VCO, they wouldn't really track or, or hold uh, over temperature. And it's it's all these things that just made them seem like almost useless to me. And I understand why they're so so popular, but if you really want to use them to, to do something musical, it, 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 it they just fall apart in my mind. Um, so I just wanted to fix that, I guess. Okay, so you were you were kind of. It seems pretty con- common for for module ma- manufacturers to try to fill the gaps of what they think is missing. So you you didn't just set out to make another you know slew limiter function generator. You you set out to make one that did the things that the ones you you know currently had weren't doing. Um, that's pretty yeah. interesting. Um, and was it a challenge to get it in eight HP? An enormous challenge. Because, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's going to yeah. be a theme in, in the conversation over the next two modules I oh, want to yeah. talk about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Not not just the size, but just the circuit on its own was probably um, Contour 1 I worked on for over uh, one and a half years, which is the longest development time I've, I've had on a module. Um, because, it's, because it does so much stuff well, um, it becomes a balance, balancing different things. Like, okay, you can have it, uh, make it really accurate for volt proctor slewing, but then it, it's not as stable if you use it as a VCO, things like that. So it, most of the work was just fine-tuning the, the slew core of it and, and getting it to a point where I was happy with it. Yeah, that seems really, really challenging. I know nothing about this yeah. stuff, but um, I, I've yeah. talked to enough people who, who build stuff to know that, yeah, a year and a half is a pretty long time, especially if it's... Yeah, if it's something you're working on every day. How do you? I guess how do you keep? Um, how do you keep motivated and excited about something if it's if it's something you're working on every day and, and it's challenging the whole time? Is it is it incremental success that keeps you going, or is it the idea of the finished product, or both, or? Yeah, I guess both, and I rarely work on new stuff every day, so it's <laughs> yeah. So I always have a lot of projects going on and I just work on something uh, one day and I work on something else another day and a lot of these days I'm just doing like production stuff for a whole day or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it, it becomes difficult to find the time to work on, on, on new designs. Um, so that also helps having multiple things going on and being able to switch between them. Um, and also just the, the, the prospect of, of having this finished module um, that that does keep me motivated. Yeah, I uh, I think that's pretty common too. I've I've heard that a lot. Is you're never working on one thing at a time, and I I don't think anybody would mm-hmm. get done if they did. They would just bail yeah. on the next thing. <laughs> um, yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay, so then okay, the filter eight then is your first big module that you release at a whopping 12 HP. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, a multi-mode filter that does everything that it does. Um, that's probably, how, was that more challenging to squeeze that down? And, and was 12 HP, is that, is that kind of like your maximum? Did you set that or did you allow for it to grow? And that was as small as you could get it. For some reason, it just felt like the right size for that module. Yeah. Um, yeah. And really early on, I had different concepts. So I knew I was going to work on a filter and a lot sooner than, than I expected because I, I was planning to do some more utility stuff first and then work on a filter because I started working on on filter rate pretty early. Um, 
I think at at the time when I released like Switch and whatever, I was already thinking about Filterate or or not long after. Um, so, yeah, it it just felt right, I guess. And and when I sketched out the panel, it felt right. But early on, I had different ideas for like having a dual filter and and tracking stuff and whatever. But it it just everything came together and the feature set came together and it it just. Um, and still, when I when I look at the module, it, it for me it feels really like a like a, a polished product. Um, you you can tell it's it's finished, it's complete. It's there's not lacking anything or whatever. It um, it just looks and and feels really solid as a as a design in my mind. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous and yeah, the layout stuff. I mean, other than the you know we're talking about circuit design and everything, but just the panel layout has to be a whole other set of a headache. Um, but yeah, it seems like when did, when did that come out? It's, it's been, is it a year, about a year ago or not that long? Um, one and a half years one ago. It was uh, the, the 8th of August, 2018. I still remember. Okay. That's, it seems like <laughs> there was a, a window of time around then until about a few months ago that really seemed to be, the year of the filter, um, a lot of yeah. really cool filters coming out yeah. around the same time. Which is, of course, a coincidence because everyone is working on, on this stuff a year in advance. So, yep. <laughs> but I do, f I do recall feeling a bit uh, paranoid because it, it, for me, the design was just so, so perfect uh, in its... Well, I wouldn't say simplicity, but um, the the feature set. I had the idea that some other manufacturer was about to release exactly the same product <laughs> <laughs> because it 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 just made perfect sense to me. Yeah, um, the module. Well, I think it's. I'm. I'm. I don't, I'm not sure how similar it is to these two, but when I I also think of the Q pass and the 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 stereo dipole filter as two two yeah. big filters that came out around a similar time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, all I could think was how frustrating that must be for all of these manufacturers to be like, here's this new, really cool filter. And then two other people being like, also, here's this really cool filter. Um, mm -hmm. But again, and this is, this is something I want to talk about with the next module. Um, maybe we mm -hmm. could segue into it this way, but yeah. the Q pass I think is 18 HPs, the, the, the uh, and the, stereo dipole is that or maybe 20 yeah. and then this is 12 well, so uh, i should say when when those modules were released i didn't feel threatened or whatever in any way because i feel they're very different products they're they're all very different filters um and i don't feel okay they're, they're all filters and some people may may um maybe choosing between them or whatever but ultimately they they if someone wants a filter eight and has the features they want, they're going to get a filter eight. Right. So for me, it doesn't feel like like it's competition or it's uh, getting into my markets or whatever. Not not at all. I agree with you there. I think the unfortunate thing, because I I, I kind of knew that I was talking with with Andrew from SSF when he was releasing the dipole, um, and I, I yeah I think I think all all of your guys' stuff definitely they're. They're individual. They're unique in their own right. They're not the same thing. Unfortunately, I saw so many people on Facebook being like, do I want this one or this one? And it's like, it's almost yeah. like a, which one is better? And it's like, that's not even yeah. a valid question. 
yeah, for for me, it's it's a bit like people asking like, should I get a bike or a car? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah, it depends. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do I want breakfast or lunch? I don't know what time is yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so the next one I want to talk about is maybe one that kind of impresses me even more with how with uh, it being 12 hp for what it can do and that's the generate 3 which i haven't used yeah. yet but i'm really excited to to use mine it's on its way thank you so much i'm yeah, really is. looking forward to that um but it seems like from what this thing can do it kind of reminds me of and again this isn't a, a, a one-to-one comparison i know i know it's a very different thing than these things but i when i think complex mm-hmm. oscillators i don't think 12 hp i think dpo i think trident yeah you know i think these big these big guys which are a whole lot of fun to use and do a lot of cool stuff when i'm watching the demo videos and listening to this i'm like wow this thing is this thing is doing stuff that is yeah it just seems really complex and i didn't know you could get a complex oscillator that small so was it were you working on it at the same time as filter eight and and was 12 hp kind of a number you wanted did you want to keep them the same size for some sort of continuity or did it just kind of work out that way uh i guess again it it sort of worked out i I found out i I could get it all into 12 hp um and when i can do that i just do it Uh, of course i Realize that when I, I design the front panel and I'm going like, okay, all the controls fit into 12 HP, fine. But the moment I start laying out the, the circuit boards, then I'm probably, <laughs> most of the time, I'm I'm cursing my earlier decision on the, <laughs> on the front panel size. <laughs> Especially in Generate 3, which is still uh, quite a bit more complex than, uh, than Filter 8. Um, but I did manage to squeeze it all in there. Uh, I would probably say it was uh, contour was probably still a bit harder to get everything into 8 HP, um, but it is definitely like there's 400 components in Generate 3, so that's quite a bit. Um, wow. And it's uh, it's but uh, if you say complex oscillator, it's sort of a very specific definition in the modular world. Mm-hmm. I've noticed. Um, a complex oscillator for most people is two oscillators, really, with one modulating the other. And with Generate 3, I very consciously chose to have just one single VCO, but with all the modulation possibilities you might want. Um, with the underlying thought that people are going to have other sound sources in their system they can use to modulate it. And basically build their own complex oscillator pair which I find a lot more interesting than making this huge, whatever, 30 HP module, uh, which becomes a voice on its own, and you sort of force people to work with it in a, in a certain way. And for me, this is what Modeler is about. Is um, That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. modules, I guess. Yeah. And single you, modules doing a lot of stuff. It opens up the possibility to, you know, you, you can use any oscillator as that oscillator that's modulating it. So... You know, you, yeah. you have this world of opportunity. Okay, I, I didn't really, uh, I guess when you when you said that out loud, I was like, oh yeah, that's what a complex oscillator is. I was just kind of thinking it, of it as an oscillator that does a lot of shit. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, but the, 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 the term complex oscillator has gotten this very specific definition in the modeler world. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it didn't, we would call this a complex oscillator. I guess. Right. 
Okay. Um, so I want to talk about this a little bit. And, and one, I'll, for the listener out there who may not know, and to be honest, I don't fully understand it either. I've, I've had it explained to me before, and I kind of understood it. But for us non-electrical people, what does through yeah. zero mean exactly? Because I've heard that with ah. different... <laughs> different <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I found it's quite uh, difficult for people to understand at first. Um, and I still get like emails and questions or whatever for, for people <laughs> who don't really understand. I've tried to understand, uh, I try to comp- uh, explain it in the, in the manual best as, as I can, but, um, it sort of needs to click in your head and then, then you, you know what to do with it. So the thing with, uh, linear frequency modulation, just regular LFM, like you would find on, on filter eight, um, it's nice because as you increase the modulation depth, it's tonal. You don't get the pitch shifts. Okay. So if you use exponential FM, which can modulate really deep, you get an upwards pitch shift because it's exponential. So it's going up in frequency more than it's going down. Mm-hmm. Um, a linear FM, it goes in hertz or in percent frequency or whatever how you want to to measure it it goes up as much as it goes down so the 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 center stays the same and the center is the pitch you perceive okay okay Okay. makes sense yeah um now normal linear frequency modulation can only go down to zero hertz so that also means that the maximum it can modulate up is one octave okay so if you have like 100 hertz and you modulate it down 100 hertz, it can also only modulate up 100 hertz. So you have 200 hertz of total modulation range, I guess. Okay. And that's what the through zero means. When it would be zero, you're allowing it to go negative. Yeah, exactly. So it's through zero, which means you can go beyond the zero point, And it also means that you can go higher than this 200 hertz limit you would have earlier. Okay. Okay. So it's not just through zero, it's also in the other direction. So it's basically just a way of making linear FM more useful and more broad. Exactly. So you can have linear frequency modulation that is really deep. Well, okay. on filter eight, it's, it's, it's quite subtle. Okay. Because it's, it's limited in size because the module just technically can't go through zero. Well, I, I like that a lot because you just said, you know, Subtle, subtle is what I'm after right now. You know, like, um, that's yeah. like attenuation is just so important. Attenu- attenuating and attenuating signals has become so important to me because I feel like there's a lot of time I'm making a patch and there's, I, in my head, I'm like, it sounds too modular. Like it ta- sounds too much like bleeps <laughs> and bloops. There's too much whoop, whoop, you know? And like, I want things yeah. to change w- more subtly so it doesn't just sound like it's a filter sweeping constantly. And I feel like that's where the real challenge is because you hear people making music and I think I'm one of those people right now. I'm trying to get out of it, but you hear people making music on a modular and it, it just, it's very interesting and cool sounding, but it seems like there's a, there is a, a level of taming that needs to be done on it to make it maybe just, it's just maybe not so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe just like bombastic. It's a little too showy sometimes, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, I guess most of modular music is made for modular people. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and modular people really like these uh, broad frequency sweeps and whatever. Uh, I mean, I do as well because I'm just really interested in, in sounds when it's uh, when we're talking about modular synthesizers. I'm more interested in, in the sounds than in the music 
to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I like this as well. But of course, if you really want to use them to make music, which is of course perfectly viable, the, they're instruments after all. Um, then yeah, you need to. It depends on what kind of music you're making or, or what kind of sound you're making. But you you need to um, have have attention for subtle things and um, musicality rather than these huge whatever uh, frequency modulation sweeps mm -hmm. and 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 uh, wave folder uh, stuff and and which is cool on its own but uh, yeah, yeah there's a place for that i'm not trying to disparage that at all and i'm not saying that skilled synthesists don't do that that's i was just i think for me there's sometimes the stuff that is it's hard for me to dial stuff lower than i want it to be it's like i'm getting really close but i can't uh, you know it's you know it's just skill and, and practice and and it's something that you got to become aware of first before you can start messing with it. So, um, I guess, yeah. So the, the through zero stuff sounds like maybe what I'm looking for. Maybe. Well, it's, if you want to be able to quickly choose be between really broad modulation or really subtle stuff, it just gives you a lot more options. Mm -hmm. So that's the idea. What, el what else can you tell us about the generate three? Cause there's, there's much more to it than that. I mean, there's, it's, it's a pretty, there's a lot of stuff going on here in the, on the f the front panel a couple switches so um it also it looks like it could also be uh an lfo is that right is that what the audio low switch is for yeah so it's the same as as filter eight uh you can switch it to uh, low mode and then it operates in low frequency mode and then it's a really good uh very complex advanced lfo um, it's just again I, I did the same thing on filter 8 that's an 8 phase LFO and on generate 3 you then have a really uh, crazy modulatable LFO with 5 outputs and different uh, different frequency ratios and you can sort of draw your own waveforms using or um, by changing the different levels of the different channels um, so a lot more interesting I feel than uh, than just having a basic LFO, which you'll see, I don't have anywhere in my uh, in my lineup. Um, mm -hmm. Everything is voltage controlled, and everything works at in in all frequency ranges, uh, which it just gives you so much more versatility than here's a eight HP LFO with a speed knob, and that's <laughs> it. And yeah, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, we don't that necessarily feels really limiting to me. Right? No, there's there's enough for that, and of course, there's there's going to be a price difference there uh, but this is what i feel is interesting and what i also notice my uh, my users find interesting so as a as a design point i guess i'm looking at a lot of these you know these oscillators that i have and a few of them have a switch that just automatically brings it to lfo and because i've had a few of the a few oscillators that do that it makes me wonder why doesn't every oscillator do that and is it as simple as just putting a switch that just steps everything down a certain degree or is it is there more is it more complex than that no it's really just a switch and a capacitor <laughs> that's <laughs> it well on on my modules it's a bit more complex than that because i do the switching electronically and so the the physical switch actually controls an electronic switch on the circuit which has certain benefits and on the filter it's also necessary because you have four filter cores being switched simultaneously by the single switch um, but yeah on on a lot of uh, diy uh, modules or even some production modules if you have a switch that 
chooses between filter ranges it's just selecting different capacitors okay so i imagine the reason you don't find it on everything is maybe that you know oh well i don't want to add one one or two hp for it or you know whatever it is because it just seems like such a uh i don't know like I said, I want all my oscillators to be able to do it. Although it does, yeah. it does kind of um, make me want two of the same oscillator. And I, I, once, once I saw that about the Generate <laughs> Three, I was like, "Oh, great! Now I'm gonna have to get two. Because uh, <laughs> I use the Schlappy Engineering Angle Grinder, and I used to use it only as an oscillator, but now I almost only use it as an LFO. And it and it yeah. does so much, and it's like it's so hard to decide which way to mm -hmm. use it. Yeah, and that's again the sort of sort of frustration and and missed opportunities I see a lot in Eurorack is like just just put that switch there. I mean, it's <laughs> the switch isn't that expensive. I mean, okay, I use really fancy ones, so they're a little bit more expensive than, than <laughs> some of the ones other manufacturers use. But yeah, it's it's not that it doesn't take up that much room, and it it, it I feel like manufacturers sort of just forget about it, or or I don't know. Um, or you're stuck in this mindset of I'm making an audio VCO, so it's an audio VCO and it has these audio VCO features. Uh, and for me, modeler is about all frequency ranges. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And I think some of these, like, you know, really complex, well, not complex like we were talking about earlier, but just very, like, robust oscillators. I think there's things you can do, do them to turn them into um, modulation sources, but it's nice to just be able to flip a switch. Um, yeah. But exactly. So we're actually uh, we're we're doing pretty good on time here. But I wanted to see if there's uh, if the, is there anything coming up that you want to kind of tease or talk about, or do you like to play that pretty close to the vest? Uh, well, I'm working on new stuff, of course, always, mm -hmm. and um, it's I'm going to break the 12 HP barrier. Oh shit! <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Which makes me think uh, that well, whatever it is, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty robust and do a lot of stuff. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think anyone familiar with my lineup uh, will see that there's still some some bits missing to have like a full system. So uh, the goal is to fill in the blanks and um, create yet more designs that people I hope will find really useful, and just do do stuff that uh, that you won't find in a modeler right now. Yeah. So, okay, that's something that's always fascinated me because I feel like if I was a manufacturer, I would really want to be able to build my own system. Probably more just so I could like look at it and be like, there's my system, um, <laughs> which would be really selfish and really, really <laughs> just kind of a silly reason <laughs> to do it. But is that something that's important to you is, is getting to a point where you could maybe sell, you know, like a, a 104 or 84 HP skiff of just your full system? Yes, sort of. Not not exactly like okay, I want to have this size or whatever, mm -hmm. or I want to be able to to actually offer like a finished synth, but just having all the all the building blocks you need for for different sorts of analog synthesis available. That that is important to me. Um, so so people can actually say like okay, I really like this your analog approach to modeler, and I'm just going to get only that stuff and. If people want to do that, they can do that. If other people want to uh, mix and match, that's also fine. Um, so for me, it's just putting out the tools for musicians to use. 
Yeah, that's, that's the main goal. Well, that seems very pure, unlike the one, un, unlike the reason I just said that I would want to do it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, I do have like a, like a demo system, and it's really nice to look at because yeah. the, the modules also, all my modules have, have the same design and same look and the same spacing. So it really looks like, like a finished instrument no matter what modules you, you you put in what order or whatever it just looks like like a whole and for me that's also more than just an aesthetic thing it it feels like a um, like a complete system even if there are some still some bits missing right now but as as the lineup is it feels like uh, like a whole um and i f i think that's that's also inspiring um as a musician to to have like a a system that feels like a, Almost like like a guitar or whatever. It feels like this is this finished thing that uh, that is an instrument on its own. Absolutely. There's that. I I have this giant case, um, this giant Needham Woodworks case. So I've got 15U, 120 HP. But when I I don't have enough to fill it and my my uh, my travel case. So when I have to play a gig or something, and I load up my travel case. I look over at my 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 giant case and it's you know it's it's over halfway full of modules but I realize I took out so much of my uh you know sequencing and clock and everything to where if I take a few things out of it I have this giant system but it's actually not really that great of an instrument because it's missing yeah. these <laughs> fundamental pieces so it's it's funny yeah. to think of how important those fundamental pieces are um and that's yeah. been my that's been really my journey is because I love this case for at home and building stuff, and it's gorgeous to look at. My goal is to make, you know, something smaller work for me, where I can just have it constant. You know, once I build it, it's it is my system. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. So and I, that's that's a, that's a trend I've I've really noticed this catching on of making small systems. Like I know people building like four or five module systems and just and. I've noticed my my modules are perfect for that because you get a lot of stuff in in a small package. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was thinking about the the Generate Three. I was like, ooh, okay, that's 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 small enough to not take up too much space in my my travel yeah. case. Which is you know it's unfortunate that that has to be um, an aspect of it, but it's also kind of like a fun aspect of it because it's almost like building things out of Legos or something. You know, there's there is that <laughs> element of it that is. It's, I think we all have to remind ourselves that we get these things to make music or, or sound with, you know, we kind of, mm -hmm. we could get yeah. caught up in the, the building block aspect of it, but, um, yeah. Yeah, there's almost like a collector's mentality or something to it. it. There is, and I'm not, I'm not so crazy about the whole gear acquisition syndrome stuff. That's, yeah. That's going on. <laughs> um, and the hype and whatever, because I feel the most important thing is is making making tools that work for musicians. And if they're good tools, then people are going to get them. I guess. Uh, of course, it's important for me to know, for people to know that my stuff exists and whatever. So, um, going to events and and YouTube videos and whatever that's that's all really important. But I wouldn't want anyone to just get one of my modules because they happen to be popular and they find it's it's nothing for them and they all get dumped on on second hand or model grid or mm -hmm. anything that, yeah. that that doesn't help me in the long run right yeah it's it's kind of it's it's a very strange double-edged sword that kind of has uh kind of a for lack of a better word kind of a gross aspect to it this this capitalist 
aspect to it, which I mean, I, I have, I face that myself with, okay, I want people to listen to my podcast and I want it to get out there, but I really only want people who really want to listen to my podcast to listen to it. So it, it's, it's this weird yeah. thing. And I imagine as a manufacturer, that's gotta be a really hard line to walk because yeah, you don't want to seem like you're, um, you know, selling out or, or, you know, trying to push mm-hmm. something as a product to people yeah. who may not want it. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be really difficult. Um, yeah. and it is a weird, it's a weird aspect to this, this whole world. It is, but for me, it doesn't really feel like, like a difficult thing. Um, it's still the designs on the road are, are still the most important thing. Uh, and the thing where I put the most time in, uh, yeah. and all the rest is just necessity or whatever, but I'm, I'm not interested in, in just, Telling people they have to get something and and with blind hype or whatever. I want people to really understand what are the capabilities and and what are they getting. Yeah. Um, and 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 please read the manuals. <laughs> <laughs> I think luckily we're right now in the in the at least just in the Eurorack world. I, I I would like to believe and I actually do believe that most manufacturers or all manufacturers are kind of agree with you and approach it from a similar, similar uh, yeah. point, it, it, it all still feels very genuine and pure to me, which I really, really like. Um, of course, yeah. if it gr- keeps growing and gets to the size of, you know, you know, your, you know, big brand, big brand stuff mm-hmm. and, and your Nam stuff, then it could, yeah. it could get weird. But I think for generally everybody's kind of, uh, you know, in it, in it for the, the love of the game, as I say. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. But we're just, and and that's also just in general, not just Eurorack. We're in this kind of strange, strange world where where numbers seem to be more important than actual contents or um, mm-hmm. or actual um, interaction between people. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not that interested in in having like huge uh, numbers or. Um, but yeah, that's again, as you say, with your podcast, it's for a podcast is probably the number of listeners is going to be the most important metric. But is that really the most important thing for you as as a creator? Yeah, uh, I would say no. Yeah, it's something that I've, I've, you know, especially when I was first getting into it and I was thinking about like, well, what is successful? What what is a successful podcast? You know, that was kind of the terms that I was thinking of it. You know, what is a successful podcast get in weekly downloads or whatever? And I've, I've definitely flipped on that. I'm like, I'm already successful because I have people who listen, who engage with me. And, and if it, if Mm -hmm. it doesn't grow by one more listener, like I'm totally happy if, if there are people out there that are listening and enjoying it and getting something out of it, that, that has been by far the most rewarding thing because the, the crazy thing about this numbers thing that you just mentioned, which I think is very true and it's very troubling, um, is, you know, how many followers do you get or how many people are listening? And it's weird yeah. that those numbers grow, but if that's what you're after, the growth in those numbers doesn't actually impact you emotionally. Like, so if you think a mm-hmm. uh, hundred people is really good, but you only have 10, well then if, if you slowly get to a hundred by the time you get to a hundred, well, it's not 500. It never actually <laughs> becomes fulfilling. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it it's just a really really simple way to measure popularity, I guess. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it it doesn't tell you anything about um, content or quality or engagement or whatever. Those are very difficult things to measure or to quantify, and numbers are easy. So now we're in this 
numbers algorithm driven worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really weird. But I, w I will say this since we're talking about it. Everybody who reaches out to me um, for any reason through any, you know, email or Instagram or whatever, everybody, I really appreciate that. And I really enjoy that. That's, that's where I get the fulfillment. People asking me questions or people just sending me stuff. Hey, I made this. I thought you might like it. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. That's, yeah. that's really, really cool. Um, and I yeah. imagine as a manufacturer, that's gotta be cool to see your stuff popping up in people's videos or do people who get mm -hmm. your stuff send you, Hey, I made this with, uh, with generate three or anything like that. Yeah, definitely. And people who, who follow the Your Analog uh, social media channels will see that they often repost um, stuff people do, like uh, video cl uh, Instagram video clips and, and stuff like that, because that's ultimately what, what it's all about, I think, just the, the end result and uh, the, the music and the sounds people are, are making with the stuff. Um, so I, I do consciously share... Um, stuff I, I people do it with my modules which i find interesting yeah and i will say this uh because i've i've heard people think that well i don't want to send anything because they probably get sent a million things a day and they're probably really busy i'm pretty sure all manufacturers of all sizes love seeing you know people tagging them and, and or whatever with their stuff so yeah. i'd say if, if i would you, hope so yeah i feel like if, if you're feeling maybe insecure about doing it because you don't want to bother somebody bother them because it's it's <laughs> not a bother they like to see it being yeah. used unless you're asking something that's in the manual <laughs> which, which does sometimes happen but <laughs> you've, I think you've mentioned that a few times so i feel like that might be something uh, that we want to highlight I think, here yeah <laughs> no but but uh, I do think, and I've I've heard that from other manufacturers like uh, as well. Um, quite a few of us put a lot of work in in making really good uh, uh, or or um, or uh, getting really good YouTube videos made and and having really good uh, user manuals and stuff like that to really educate people. Because again, it's for me, it's not interesting for people to just get one of my modules and and put it on a shelf and look at it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's interesting that people actually use it and learn how to use it and put in a little bit of, of time to, to get to know it as an instrument. Um, so, yeah, um, read the manuals. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, also, I, I'm going to just stick on this point for a moment because I want it to really soak into people's heads, but also just, I mean designing and writing the manual itself has to be a huge part of the work of designing a module, right? I mean, that has yep. to be its own set yep. of challenges. So yep. you take this time to do it, like, mm -hmm. it's there for a reason. Yeah, for me, I use it almost as a, as a design brief. So I'll start writing the manual basically as soon as I have the concepts uh, for the module. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and it's because I've noticed some manufacturers will, like, release a module and then the manual comes out like three months later which yeah <laughs> which always confuses me but no for me it's 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 a design aid uh, and i i write i use it to just write out how the module is going to work um and of course things get changed and whatever but uh, it's a guideline for myself uh, at first and then it becomes a guideline for for the end users Right on. Well, I think that's our takeaway at, at the end of our talk here is read the manual. Um, <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> is, is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to, uh, to mention or anything like that? Is there anything that we missed? 
there's probably going to be something I realize in an hour or two, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> right now I think yeah, when when we're talking about size of the modules, I think it it is interesting to highlight um, that there's uh, there's size, but there's also ergonomics, and they they don't have to contradict each other. Um, which is for me also very important when I design modules is to realize that okay these are going to be used by humans and humans have hands and uh -huh, hands yeah. have to fit <laughs> between things and uh, <laughs> so that's that's quite so you'll see that uh, okay I put the knobs and the switches on top and I put the sockets on bottom and and so on um, mm -hmm. and also the, the just the placement of things uh, I find really important um, because ultimately the they're tools, they're instruments, they're not just uh, just props. Right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much, Joran, for coming on. Go check out your analog stuff online. Uh, really, really fantastic stuff. Generate 3 is on its way to my house right now, so I'll have demos for you next week. Thank you to all of our sponsors, Needham Woodworks, Recovery Effects, Patchwork Seattle, After Later Audio's Heritage Line, uh, and thank you to all of you. Without you, this uh, the podcast wouldn't exist, so uh, I very much appreciate it. Also, I want to shout out all of our other podcast people out in the uh, modular world, Source of Uncertainty, Esoteric Modulation, Dot Wave, North Beats, Why We Bleep, Art Music Technology, Data Call Audio, and of course, Waveform Magazine. Have you seen issue three yet? It looks great. Please go check out all this great modular stuff happening in our modular world. Until next week. <laughs>